hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Our Queer Money episode about the link between Dave Ramsey, Kingdom Advisors, donor advised funds, and all the anti-LGBTQ legislation sweeping across the country got a lot of attention, including from those in the financial services industry. Journalist Toby Salinger did a deep dive following up on that episode for Financial Planning Magazine, an industry publication. He joins us today to share more details about his research and some follow-up for his follow-up. You're listening to Queer Money, episode 428, and today we're continuing to expose the anti-LGBTQ plus industrial complex. So let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So welcome, Toby Salinger, to the Queer Money Podcast. David and I are very excited to have this follow-up episode with you. (laughs) Yeah. We have a little bit of research worship to bow down (laughs) to you because what you found and, and so diligently put together in the article that we'll talk about here just blew us away and excited us at the same time. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. And, you know, as I've mentioned to both of you, that article never would have happened unless I heard Queer Money number 386. So. <laughs> <laughs> Got it memorized. I love it. <laughs> so with that, you know, it caught your attention. You did a much deeper dive into this. I mean, this is your job, so that kind of makes sense. But you also got your your employer to say, this is a worthwhile, worthwhile story to dive into, into Kingdom Advisors and its partners and its the, the donor advice funds. Why did you decide to do this? Why did you think this was important? Well, I think the political climate right now where you have LGBTQ rights at the center of a lot of debate in our society right now, whether it's state laws being passed or the Supreme Court decision that we saw last week, these issues are front and center. And it's my job as a reporter to explain how that relates to our industry. We are an industry publication for financial advisors, but financial advisors are helping their clients in a lot of different ways. And I thought it was incumbent on us to really invest the time that this topic deserved. As you pointed out, there are a lot of interconnected entities involved with what's going on at Kingdom Advisors and its links to the larger industry. So we wanted to do our very best to explain how they're connected so that our readers would be better equipped to work with their clients. And on top of that, it was just the the personal issue of just what would it be like for the very industry that you work in, your profession, to seem or to be actually supporting political efforts that are aimed at taking away your civil rights. 
And this industry, I, I don't need to tell the two of you, I don't need to tell many people that this industry has a has a legacy of turning people away, saying you're not welcome here, you're not, you don't have access to this career, you don't have access to this service. And as someone working at an industry publication, I think it's my job to also try to try to make this this discussion relevant to the readers and try to say no we we want to be a welcoming place in this industry and if you don't want to participate in these practices there are other people who feel the same way as you and especially as a as a reporter as someone who's not experiencing this firsthand a white guy cisgender hetero male it's even more important for me to do that job where I'm maybe pushing the envelope where people see my picture on the website and you know they don't give me half of the hard time that they would give to me if I were a woman if if I were queer if I were a member of a minority group so I really think it's my duty to kind of push the envelope and if something is complicated and it's tense and it's a political issue try your your best to explain it if you make a mistake you 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 fix that mistake but we are lucky to be able to cover an industry that's tremendously important we're lucky to have normal working hours as journalists that's not very common in the industry we're lucky to go to a lot of industry events and just what is the point of doing all of that if we're not going to tell important stories that are a little bit complicated and that are a little bit difficult to tell? And maybe it takes like 5,000 words to to actually tell them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for doing that one thing, one moment, just for a context for our viewers and listeners. This episode is being recorded the week after Lori Smith won that made-up case about that made-up charge with the Supreme Court. So just for context there. Yeah. So one of the things that John and I have said for a long time is that privilege is worthless unless you do something good with it, right? And what I heard from you just now is exactly what I think most people with privilege need to hear, is that when we sit in a place because we are cisgendered or we are white or we are male or whatever the privilege, we have financial privilege, we have location privilege, whatever that that may be, we need to remember that that privilege benefits us, but it can benefit other people too. And so we deeply appreciate the fact that you said that, that it's important for, we've said this about the industry, especially the financial services companies in the industry. We don't need you to support us with another party. We don't need another pride parade. We need you to actually help us protect our rights. That's what it's about right now. We have gone backwards recently and we need to help with that instead of you throwing us another party. And that's exactly what I hear coming from you is this actual true support. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And, you know, I also think it's if you if you are coming into it without the firsthand knowledge of experiencing that firsthand, then it's on you to do more research and get everything, get everything situated and be ready to find out that you're wrong and be proven wrong. And I hope that, you know, my work has contributed to the discussion 
so that this is something that that advisors, clients, everyone who interacts with the financial industry can can learn more about and talk more about because it needs to be front and center. We can't just pretend that one industry is separate from every political you know, debate that's happening in our society. Absolutely. So that conversation is a great tee up to my next question. Every time financial planning post re- reposted the article on Twitter, I went to see what the comments were. And could because that's where like the most trolling goes on right these these days. And I was fascinated that you, there weren't a whole lot of hateful comments. It was mostly all the comments that I saw anyway. And of course it wasn't an exhaustive study. We're, we're positive and supportive. So what has been the response that you've received so far from this article? Well, we got a, a couple of ugly emails. I mean, no more than three to five. There were some readers who took the time to share their perspective that they feel that Christians get a bad rap in the media and aren't heard in their perspective. And, you know, I think that's always an interesting point to an important point for any journalist to hear, you want to be quoting from all sides, not just two sides. There are all sides to to a story. And, you know, I took the time to thank them for writing and just explain that we did speak to more than a dozen people from all different perspectives. We tried to speak with a dozen more, and we quoted from all viewpoints at, at length. But, you know, we, we got a few emails. Our readers really demonstrated that they're interested in these questions about donor-advised funds as well. That story was among the top performing pieces for the month it ran in terms of page views and especially the average time spent on the page when it gets out to 5,000 words. That's that'll That'll help people stay there a little bit longer. I received some really heartfelt letters from LGBTQ advisors and professionals just thanking us for giving the topic the attention it deserves, you know, at a time of a lot of political tensions in our country and just fear that people's rights are are being taken away. We haven't had a single request to change anything relating to the facts, numbers, quotes, or phrasing in the article. And, you know, that's what keeps reporters like me up at night worrying. I was very anxious <laughs> to uh, put out this nearly 5,000 word piece with all these entities, names, and, and topics involved, but you know, we haven't had any requests. So we take a lot of pride in that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I understand what you mean. Every time we would, we, we publish something, I'm always, we're always a little bit like tenuous about, it. we want to make sure we got it right. We don't want to steer people wrong. And the reason why I think what you and financial planning did was so courageous is you named from some very pivotal organizations and people within the financial services space, XY planning, Michael Kitches, pride, LPL, like these are some big dogs in the industry. And you actually mentioned them as partners of Kingdom Advisors that have this sort of disconnected relationship because many of those people I just and organizations I just mentioned say that they support the LGBTQ plus community, but then they're very closely tied to this anti-LGBTQ organization called Kingdom Advisors. So there was no hesitation whatsoever to to do that and have you and, and particularly those individuals have you heard anything back from them since capital one strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone including the lgbtq plus community through access to credit tools to manage debt and product features 
Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Well, you know, it was about half and half. There were there were a few who who did take the time to kind of engage with the questions. And, you know, I include Kingdom Advisors in that. They didn't agree to an interview, but they did answer questions via email. I think that was one of the key takeaways throughout the 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 story was just the connections between large wealth management firms and Kingdom Advisors and how Kingdom Advisors is connected to the National Christian Foundation, which is connected to the Alliance Defending Freedom, which was the organization that brought that Supreme Court case and many others that that have involved LGBTQ rights. They're designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty, the SPLC. So there, there were just so many interconnections there that we wanted to give everyone a, a chance. I, I think another important one is Bob Dahl. He works for a company called Crossmark Global Investments. If you watch CNBC, he's a frequent guest there. He's on the board of Kingdom Advisors. He's a past board member of the National Christian Foundation. And he didn't respond to, to our requests either. Neither did Michael Kitsis, who's a huge name in the financial advisor community, just as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, as a blogger, as a podcaster. And I've never had him not answer me when I reach out about a story, but he is quoted on the front page of the Kingdom Advisors website, just talking about it from a niche business development perspective. And, you know, that was the overwhelming response from Kingdom Advisors and the response from the National Christian Foundation is that they contend that they're not doing anything political, that it's the donors who want to give money to these groups that are seeking to take away public accommodations in the example of the the Supreme Court case, or they're supporting legislative efforts at the state level around gender affirming care, or around trans people in sports, or around drag queens even. And so, so there were big connections there. LPL, they did, they did get back to me. They they provided some some answers that kind of just showed why this is such an important question. There are about a thousand LPL financial advisors who use the CKA designation. That's a designation that is offered by Kingdom Advisors. It's a it's a professional designation, requires a, an exam and continuing education. And it also gives connections to to partner groups like this National Christian Foundation or like some some other charities that that we bring up throughout the story but LPL has a thousand advisors who are doing that they say they they aren't a formal partner is how they called it not a formal partner they but they did sponsor Kingdom Advisors annual conference they told me they said that they personally, out of their foundation, their company's foundation, they screen out for any 
any groups designated as hate groups by the SPLC. So you see, as you're kind of pointing out, there's a little bit of talking out of both sides, you know, wanting to A, be a supportive place for LGBTQ plus advisors and clients on the one hand, but B, also be a place for the 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 Christian advisors and the and the Christian clients who want to invest based on what they see as as biblical principles and that's kind of the the heart of the tension here is wealth wealth management firms trying to be everyone to everybody and you know the the nerdy reporter reaches out asking <laughs> you to choose sides and they don't really want to choose sides because they want you know, they want to have as many great advisors and, and clients as possible. But, you know, there were advisors who spoke to me and said, this is more important than than potential business. This is something where you've got to you've got to show your principles and and really stand up for them. And if if clients and advisors choose not to work with you because of that, then so be it. And that's how they see it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's there's so much to unpack there. Yeah, I think it, you know, I, it, when Steve Chapman responded to your question, he's the spokesperson, he was the spokesperson for NCF National Christian Foundation. And he said, "Well, but we provide clean water to thirsty people and we rescue victims of human trafficking and we translate the Bible to, in all different languages spread around the world." So, it was almost I kind of when I read that section it was like watching Wizard of Oz when they finally pulled the curtain. And it's like, "Don't no, don't look at me. Look at look at the big guy." over there. Don't pay attention to the, the bad stuff that we're doing and please focus just on the good stuff. And I and I find it a little disingenuous for them to say that we're only putting our money where our clients are telling us where to put our money because anybody who does wealth planning, especially if you're like a family practice, you're presenting ideas to the family, you're preventing, presenting ideas to your client, and you might at best get a prospectus of some sort that has some information, but it doesn't tell you exactly where every single dollar is going. And a lot of clients, the reason they're hiring the financial advisors because they just please handle it for me. That's why we have a financial advisor. As much as we know about money and, and the markets, we just don't have time to give it the attention that it needs. So we have a financial advisor and very often we just say, okay, Great. Do what you want, what you think we should do, and arguably that's not the best way for a client to respond. But it's what happens. So I, our argument is that there are probably a lot of well-intentioned Christian people, really good Christians, who really want to help society and their community, as well as not, at the very least, not hurt the LGBTQ plus community, who are having their money put into these donor advised funds and not knowing what their money is doing. You know, I think you certainly raised a relevant point when you brought up that, well, they don't, they don't have the the human rights campaign on there as grant recipients. They don't have Trevor the the Trevor Project yeah. uh, as recipients, but they do have. They have been described by a coalition of LGBTQ equality groups called the Accountable called Accountable for Equality. They've been called. The National Christian Foundation has been called the piggy bank for anti-LGBTQ organizations. Their donor-advised funds amount to $6.37 billion in assets as of the end of 2021. And in their giving guide, they specifically say that the foundation holds, quote, the sanctity of life, sexuality, gender, and marriage as one of, quote, several beliefs and values we consider essential to fulfilling our Christian ministry. So, you know, I do understand the point that 
the foundation is making when they say that the grant recipients are all across the board and, and doing a lot of different types of work. And certainly recipients who are doing great things could receive money from, from donors that way. But uh, they've also forwarded $22.7 million to the Alliance Defending Freedom, which we've just talked about, and, and $2.2 million, at least, I mean, at least the, this much, $2.2 million to the Family Research Council. And, you know, that's another organization that is fighting these political fights to take away LGBTQ rights. So it's it's a lot going on and a lot of different types of activities. But even if it's just Oh, 20, 30 million dollars out of your six or seven billion, that's still a huge impact, which we we saw last week before this recording. Yeah. It's it is kind of the glass of water that just has a little bit of arsenic in it, or just a little <laughs> bit of urine in it, or just a little bit of feces in it. Offer it to anyone, and they're going to say, no fucking way. I'm not going to do have anything to do with that. And I think that's the way that most LGBT people and most most individuals who believe in equality for everyone are looking at this. They're looking at this as fine. You say it's a full glass of water, but what else is in there that's that's potentially harmful? And I I'm just going to quote what Pete Buttigieg said on on the news the other day, who are you actually helping? Your goal with your donor-advised funds is actually to help people. Who are you helping by funding these kinds of things that take away people's rights, that take away protections for individuals? What help are you providing? Because that's really what you want your where you want your money to go. For those of you who are listening who may have money that you've given to these kinds of organizations or donor to donor-advised funds. This is what you need. This is part of your responsibility as a, as a giver is to understand where that money is going. And I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to call this out is because John and I do believe that there are a lot of good Christians out there who don't realize that they're putting a little bit of arsenic into the society of America. I think these organizations, I don't think they're necessarily trying to help people. I think that's where Mayor Pete got a little bit wrong. They're not trying to help people. They're trying to deliver Jesus's message on earth, their interpretation of Jesus's message on earth. So they are really, in their mind, helping Jesus. That's why, and that's where the disconnect is. We're all like, you're giving water to people, you're helping prevent human trafficking. We're all in support of that. But in addition to that, they're trying to help Jesus. And that's where there's, I think there's this conflict with these particular Christians and the LGBTQ plus community. Right. It's their form of Jesus that right. is one that's, it's a, it, I was going to say this earlier, but it's very similar to the Catholic church and the, the pedophilia. Sorry, pedophilia. No, the the inquisitions. Right, um, we're going well, to go help you. We're going to convert these people into good Christians. And if we can't convert them, well, sorry, you're going to lose your head. <laughs> it's just that's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wants, and that's the kind of Christianity I think we see happening today with some of these. I don't want to go down a Christian bashing rabbit hole here, but I think it is important to remember where the foundation of this comes from. It comes from really bad interpretations of what the Bible, they believe the Bible says. Yeah. And, you know, if that is 
your personal interpretation, if that is your client's interpretation, that is one thing. But if you have large wealth management firms like LPL, like Ameriprise, like XY Planning Network, like Carson Group, who actually asked their name to be removed from the Kingdom Advisors website, but still has a presence at Kingdom Advisors Conference, then it does raise questions about whether these companies are in fact providing a platform for the, these, these types of ideologies and these types of political efforts that we're seeing more and more of year after year. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive into a couple of the nitty-gritty points of your article. One thing that that was new to to me that I didn't know before and didn't I didn't understand was how the cash and non-cash assets in donor advice funds get treated better more advantageously than in a typical private foundation and that they almost it's almost like to a certain degree if I'm following your quote correctly a little bit of like legal money laundering. Like they don't, at some point, they don't have to report where the money actually is coming from. Is that, can you explain that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, for starters, it's, it's a big tax advantage over giving directly to a foundation. Capital gains taxes are avoided in many cases, and you're, you're allowed to get, get bigger deductions than when giving directly to foundations. And, and that's really the, the starting point. The anonymity is another big area. Some of the larger foundations have begun some self-disclosure. You don't see it very much. I, I did have a few folks in the industry who are heavily involved in donor-advised funds send me some research suggesting that most donations are not anonymous, but it turns out that, that the, the definition they were using is they said it's not anonymous when the donor and the recipient know who each other is. Whereas the three of us were talking about publicly available, you know, identification of, of the donors. So so that's a whole that's a whole other area. There was a really great piece in Bloomberg last year kind of talking about the increasing use of donor-advised funds among billionaires, among other ultra-wealthy folks. I'm quoting from the piece right now. There's a small but growing number of wealthy Americans who've discovered how to bypass rules designed more than a half century ago to ensure philanthropists stay accountable for the billions of dollars in tax breaks they receive each year. The key is the donor-advised fund. And the reason for that is that the charitable dollars can sit in a donor-advised fund indefinitely. Now, private foundations, they have to spend at least 5% of their assets every year. But donor-advised funds, they can stay in those cash, non-cash, investment holdings, other types of assets indefinitely. And that's an area that has, has really sparked a lot of concern out there. Another aspect of it that's feeding into the, the popularity is you can kind of hand over all of the operational responsibilities to an outside sponsor and just basically choose the, the grant recipients you want through their infrastructure. So that is a way for 
a lot of wealthy people to kind of outsource some things that they might otherwise have to do through their own family offices or or through other service providers. And it's just it's just massive in general. You know, there were all time highs in, in grants and contributions in 2021. There are $45.74 billion in grants given out and $72.67 billion in contributions. Total assets are above $234 billion. All of those numbers are from the National Philanthropic Trust. They're one of the largest sponsors of donor-advised funds. And, and so there have been advan- these advantages identified out there in the marketplace. And so people are flocking to them. And, you know, the thing that your episode pointed out that, that my article was kind of getting into is just, and, and other research has gotten into this before, that they're, they're funding groups that are designated as hate groups when the, the donors choose those particular groups as their recipients. So there are a lot of concerns about them, even as they just continue going up year after year. I'm sure they'll, they'll, there's probably going to be another record in 2022 once those numbers come out. And I think it's something that is really important for advisors, especially, but clients as, as well who are thinking about their their impact when you have donor advised funds getting so much more popular every year. Do you think, you know, just as you were speaking, it just kind of popped into my head that organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom and Timothy 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 Family Research Council? Yeah. These organizations are also out there funding politicians, right? They're making contributions to politicians to these campaigns. Is this potentially a way that people with a lot of money can get around campaign finance laws and be able to donate? They're basically funneling money into these organizations, and then the organizations themselves are allowed to donate or 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 send this money to campaigns in whatever manner that they choose. Yeah, you know, by the technical language in in the laws, nonprofits are not allowed to engage in political efforts that is public nonprofits they're not allowed to to engage in quote unquote political efforts but i think more and more americans kind of look upon that pretty skeptically when you do see connections between a lot of nonprofits and and candidates but and especially when you see when you see nonprofits going out there and arguing court cases, or you see nonprofits making issue advertisements and supporting other groups that are more directly involved in product in politics. So I, I think there is a, a lot of skepticism. Now, you know, a lot of these organizations would probably say, well, we see people on the other side of the equation using these these methods as well. And I think that gets to a point that both of you made too, which is supporters of LGBTQ plus equality might need to find other other means of copying some of these tactics if they are completely legal. And everything that I looked at makes it appear that all of this activity is completely legal. So if others who view these issues differently 
use these these methods too, then I think it's only it's only adding to the the discussion and and probably something that would bring more awareness to to their perspective when there is so much money flowing, you know, the other direction, it only makes sense for some advocates to to start using the tactics as well. It might also be time for Congress to act on certain tax breaks, on on nonprofit political activities, but we know that it can be difficult for Congress to act on almost anything. <laughs> well, and I was going to ask you about that. You know, financial services is so highly regulated. It just seems like this is like this like nebulous area where we're kind of all just looking the other way, even though we think we know what's going on. And so my question to that is, why hasn't Congress acted or is the answer that they're the benefiting issues. too much from it? They don't want to kill the golden goose. If I were to to guess, I would I would definitely say that some of the same people who are using donor advised funds in this way are also giving directly to candidates and they are very well organized and they will make it clear to politicians that there are consequences if they try to to make changes here i remember during the obama administration there was some discussion about nonprofit tax status and removing some of the tax advantages and there was an outcry and that whole effort went nowhere in Congress just because there were so many well-heeled donors who were making their their opinions known. So it is nebulous and it's tricky because there are all kinds of nonprofit political activities that people might agree with or they might disagree with and it's one of those areas where we we talk about it and we we think about a common sense approach but congress is is just frozen we can think about that for social security and making sure that that's solvent for the long term the gun control that's another area and there are all kinds of different issues where where congress just isn't acting because they have to get such a, you know, such a consensus to get over that 60 vote threshold in, in the Senate. And, you know, there's a lot of tech, tech rules that, that people want Congress to take up. And then they just have one hearing with all of the tech CEOs. And you're thinking, oh my, I'm, I'm not sure I want Congress to take this up anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, they sounded <laughs> stupid with their questions. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I don't want to make this you know, too political. I mean, it gets inherently is, but I think that's kind of the point of Pete Buttigieg's point was like, there are actual issues that the American people want to have solved or addressed. And here we are fighting these issues that nobody but a, a small contingency of people really care about and an already downtrodden community is affected by. It's just like, I don't know, why do I just, so I can say so much. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> well, it is. It is frustrating. And it also reminds me of something that Sloan Ortel, the founder of a company called Invest Vegan, really, really cool company that Sloan has founded. She was talking just about this whole word political. And she said, 
you know, you can say it's not political, but if if you're a member of the affected group, it's very political to you. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think what may be happening right now is that people who are part of the religious right feel like they're maybe getting a taste of what our communities have been dealing with for a very, very, very long time. Oh my God, somebody's going to take away my rights. Yeah, you've had those rights for centuries. And in doing so, your rights have taken away ours. So, you know, they're scared that their rights are getting taken away. So how what do they how do they respond? They respond by taking others' rights away. Well, and it's important for the industry to know that they're going to be expected to stand up for their LGBTQ plus advisors and employees. Or they will have the consequences of the marketplace. Look, it's a marketplace of ideas as well as money. And you have a lot of talent who who can relocate to other firms, who can launch their own firms mm-hmm. and do things their own way. So these companies are going to have to figure out how they can either be A, more welcoming to everyone, or B, you know, stand up strongly and say, if we lose advisors, if we lose clients, if we lose money because of this, then so be it. But that's a very difficult thing for large financial firms to to do. One of the things we have, John and I have been saying is that it's clear that the Christian right has been playing the long game. But I would ask the financial advisors to think about playing the long game as well, because we know that Roughly 20% of millennials identify as members of the LGBT community, and upwards of 30% of centennials or Gen Z identify as members of the LGBT community. So who is going to be inheriting the trillions of dollars in assets under management? And do they think that these individuals are going to want to work with a financial advisor who has participated in this kind of discrimination or has has helped fund these types of of their rights being taken away. I mean, we're going we're always going to be calling on all of our listeners if you have a financial advisor, please make sure your assets are not with Kingdom Advisors and then on top of that, maybe not even with LPL uh, Well, let's not go that far. Just, just be careful. <laughs> be careful with where who you're putting your money with, right? I mean, if they're if they're going to continue to slide money in the direction of of taking away your rights, why do you want to have your money there? Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've seen people innovating and and taking that long game approach already. I, I managed to speak with a few of them in the story. Rachel Robichaudi of Addisina Social Capital has all kinds of different investment funds aimed at, at social goals using screens that she developed with the affected communities in really some of the most innovative types of of products that I've ever I've ever seen and you have Sloan Ortel invest vegan you've got Jana Davis who I spoke with in the story of Abacus Wealth Partners they're specifically targeting LGBTQ clients and the descendants the beneficiaries of the great wealth transfer they're going to have many more options than kind of a generic 
trying to be all things to everybody solution. So yeah. even if they don't answer my questions for this particular story, they'll be facing some tougher ones from the children of their own clients down the line if they're not listening to their own advisors and their own clients who who say that they're they're not comfortable with this and they're not comfortable with the support being given to one viewpoint over another, to one interpretation of religion and one interpretation of Christianity over another. And I think that's something that more and more wealth management firms are realizing, but they're kind of falling behind as you have people like Rachel Sloan and Jana, you know, setting a, a, a new course for the industry. Yeah. I think the reason, you know, to your point that every generation seems to be a little bit more queer than the previous, I think that's the whole reason why there's the gay, don't say gay bill. And I think that's why they're trying to ban certain books. Cause they think if we can try to hide our kids from this, at least until the age of 18, maybe they won't actually be queer because they think they're being nurtured into it as opposed to nature doing it. So I think that's where that comes from. But anyway, it's a whole other debate, a whole other show. <laughs> so I'm curious, you're a lot smarter and do a lot more research in the industry than we are. What were some of your biggest takeaways from your research? Well, first of all, just the way that Kingdom Advisors is growing. I had spoken with them in 2019. So I had you know those numbers to compare their current footprint to. The membership has jumped about 30% in the past three and a half years. You know, it's 3,600. And we can say, okay, well, that's not very many until you start thinking about the fact that over 1,400 of them have the Certified Kingdom Advisors mark, the certification. And that means they're probably working with 20, 30, 40, 50 or more households in their firms. Probably their firms are working with hundreds. And so every one of these advisors has has a deeper impact. That organization has even stated a goal of reaching 30,000 certified kingdom advisors someday. So I think just their sheer growth was was a big takeaway. Another one had to do with this whole partner relationship where there was some gray area about just what it means to be listed as a partner on the website. Carson Group insisted that partner was the wrong label for them, which, you know, I respect that they wanted to talk with me, with our audience, just about that process. They said that wasn't the right relationship for them just because they had a a table at, at Kingdom Advisors Conference. So They didn't want to be listed as partners. But then you had all of these other large companies who were right there alongside the National Christian Foundation, alongside of some other organizations that you pointed out in in that episode, the Timothy Plan. They say specifically on their website that they provide financial support to numerous ministries, including those involved in human trafficking. There it is again, defending of Christian liberties and preserving the life of the unborn. That's through their registered investment advisory firm. So they also just, they they have filters that they say are about life, stewardship, purity, longevity, family, sobriety, biblical lifestyle and and liberty. There was also the connection that I think you pointed out really well in in your episode too, with the signatory, 
If you've seen that $100 million He Gets Us campaign, that was the signatory, and they gave $50 million to the National Christian Foundation. So, you know, these organizations, they reject the hate group label, the Alliance Defending Freedom. They strongly, they strongly disagree with that label. They have their own dossier on the Southern Poverty Law Center on their own website. They have other things that they do as a as a an organization that their their money is is backing. But that was just a really strong takeaway, just all of the connections between large purportedly non-political wealth management companies who just want advisors and clients, and they're listed right there by these organizations that either have problematic to to LGBTQ people stances, or they have connections with, with organizations that are taking those stances in an active way you know, all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So I think those are just some of the the takeaways. You know, the other one that's really important is just there are people who view this differently. The Amalgamated Foundation, they have the Hate is Not Charitable campaign. They have donor-advised funds that have these screens. They said, look, we don't find it difficult or political to screen out for hate groups. And they got more than 100 sponsors and nonprofits representing more than $3 billion in collective assets to join that campaign. So there are different ways of going about this where, as advisors described it to me, you can take advantage of the the good parts about donor-advised funds without funding things that run opposite to your views. Right. And I think if I remember correctly, and there's been a lot of wine since I did the research for it, so I might not, but I think, you know, because there's, there's a section in the episode where we talk about Fidelity and Schwab, but I think from my research that Vanguard filters out for some of the hate groups so that, because these very, lots of companies, especially financial services firms have their own donor advised fund where their employers, you know, that's where the, the company match comes from. Their employees make a, make a contribution and then the company matches it. Well, that's all in sort of a donor advised fund. And I think it was Vanguard who says we filter out for the hate groups because we don't want our fund to be a part of that. Even if our, our employees are contributing to those groups. Yeah, there there's some subtlety there. There have been some shifts after that article and the investigative news outlet Sludge came out a few years ago. There there were some responses from some of the the large sponsors. I think if they get pressure from from clients, they'll be receptive to that pressure. They don't want to lose clients. So it is a question of getting organized, making your views known. And, you know, that is what can often make change, you know, when you have so many issues involved, so many dollars at stake, they begin adding up over time for these large companies. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just ask you a question. I want to jump back to this, this point that you made or the the thing, what somewhat surprised you is the fact that Kingdom Advisors is grown by 30% in just three years. And it's not a 30% on 50 or 100 advisors, right? We're talking about thousands of advisors. Do you think that that is tied to the fact that there is a lot of financial 
education and financial judgment that happens within the Christian community. I'm talking about more right-leaning Christian community and and people like Kingdom Advisors with their podcasts and Dave Ramsey with his podcast and really telling people, you know, if you don't, if you have any debt, you shouldn't be going out to dinner, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. And, and is that, is that growth happening because we're starting to see Christians actually abiding by financial guidance that actually helps them grow wealth? And then they have all these financial advisors to go to. I mean, that their their, their money is coming from somewhere, obviously, right? Well, and I, I, I think it really has to do with these donor advised funds and just the the sheer the sheer organization of it. Kingdom Advisors was launched in 2003. So they have taken the the long game approach. I think it's something where as we see more polarization in American politics, where it's another option where an advisor can approach a right wing client and say, I believe the same as you. And these are the things we can do with your money to get it where it counts when I was going around just trying to get someone to speak with me from a lot of these organizations, it was striking just to go to all their websites and see the prominence of donor-advised funds. We've got our donor-advised fund. We've got this donor-advised fund, that donor-advised fund. We can align your your principles with your portfolio. You see more and more people in the financial services saying that. And I think just the connection between all of these large donors starting things on their own in the as in the case of the signatory it filters down to say the dentist down the block who who feels the same way as the billionaires about lgbtq rights and deciding that they want to get involved with it too it's it's kind of a business development effort right. and i Organic. that was you know, just if you can go somewhere to invest your money in a way that you believe and make a difference politically while you do that, I think that's a big selling point for, you know, those thousands of advisors. Well, you know, we know that Dave Ramsey and his team go into churches to to spread their message of fiscal responsibility and financial peace university. And we know that Dave Ramsey's associated with Kingdom Advisors. So you know the churches that they go into obviously know this before they let some somebody come in and speak to their congregation, right? So there they are speaking to thousands of people, multiple thousands of people, depending upon how big the church is. Every Sunday, saying this is what you got to do, and you know what? When you're finally ready to speak with to work with an advisor, you want to go to Kingdom Advisor, yeah. and then you hear that from your 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 pastor, and you hear that from Dave Ramsey. It's a no brainer. It's what you do because. Everybody next to God is saying, this is where I need to invest my money. <laughs> and, we, and, and the queer community does not have this. Yeah, We do not have this. And that's what's frustrating to David and me. I just don't know how we get the attention of the community because we're always, always playing defense, yeah. right? <laughs> I have to double check with David. We're always playing defense because it's always like, how did this case happen, right? Everybody today is like, how did this Lori Smith case happen? She didn't even have a business until this lying. case came about. She didn't even have, there wasn't even an actual plaintiff. The plaintiff apparently was was completely fabricated or a lie. How did this happen? It's because she had access to a wealth of money, like literally a, a, a billion dollars probably or, or more through 
Alliance Defending Freedom. And we're just, we're just always playing catch up. So now we're going to go march. We're going to go do a phone tree. Like it's just, it's just inadequate. We're not playing apples to apples. We're, com- we're playing completely different games and we're getting clobbered. And I, I just don't know how to get the attention of the community because, you know, talking about money isn't sexy. Talking about money isn't, isn't as, as entertaining as drag shows or as, you know, American Idol, you know, it's just, fuck. It's traumatizing as well, often to talk about money for a lot of people. They have a traumatic relationship with it. And these types of things don't help that either. They actually go the other direction and, and they hurt. But you do see some folks out there who are starting their own companies, starting their own ways to do donor advised funds. I brought up Adesina Social Capital earlier. They have some donor-advised funds. And I think it is a question of little by little, if opponents to what Kingdom Advisors are doing, start their own entities, start their own companies, start their own products. I think that that has that pays dividends down the line. I, I have seen it with... Some other minority groups in the industry, I just spoke with a couple of amazing advisors who are trying to launch the first billion-dollar Black-owned RIA in the country, and not the first not the first technical RIA, but the first one working directly with retail clients on a financial planning basis. And it is kind of surprising in a way to say in 2023, we still don't have a billion dollar black owned firm, but that is going to be something that's going to be very appealing for potential clients. We've seen Hispanic advisors do that as well. And it might be an area that's just ripe for an enterprising LGBTQ plus advisor to build that platform when there are people out there in the marketplace asking for it. Maybe though, a little bit distracted and beaten down because it's it's demoralizing. They don't have as much money as say a billionaire who can you know finance a $100 million ad campaign. But a little by a little adds up, adds up over time, as we've seen. So that that's an opportunity there for for the future. So just like Toby just said, folks, let's all do our little little bit, right? Let's do our by part little, and do little a little bit that. to move this forward. Yeah. Well, so thank you for trying to make this happen end on a happy note. <laughs> With that, though, what do you think the next step is? The next phase of this debate goes. Where do you think we're we're headed. What happens next? Well, after that Supreme Court decision, I think there are a lot of people who are going to be mobilized by that alliance defending freedom. They when I when I spoke with them, they did get back to me. They talked about 14 then 14 Supreme Court victories since 2011, they call them. So now I guess they'll count that as as 15. So the one one hand of that is going to be potential efforts to counter that. And what does an effective opposition look like? I think that's something for me as a reporter to be watching closely as 
as you know, we see the impact of this decision and whether there's not some kind of a, a political response among the electorate in the next election, or just people starting their own nonprofits, starting their own companies to build an infrastructure from another point of view. And, you know, I think there are more questions about nonprofit status and, and donor advised funds. You know, we we all know that political activity is more than just elections and campaigning and campaign donations. It's think tanks, it's issue ads, it's court cases, it's educational efforts, it's events in 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 people's communities. There are all kinds of there are all kinds of activities that have a political impact. And where are we going to draw the line or are we going to draw the line? Beyond that, there are more specific things just about donor disclosure, the timing of grant making, tax rules. You compared it to money laundering earlier. And we have seen Congress act on something like LLCs. They've, you know, forced LLCs to have have a bit more disclosure about the the founders and about who is who is behind one company or another it could be a uh, time for congress to take a look and say we need to have more disclosure around donor advised funds or at least say you know you've got to spend these assets at least 5% like private foundations every year in order to get the tax benefits from them right so i think a lot of a lot of the, the changes that need to happen are probably going to become part because of media. And we shared your, your your article with our contacts at the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and some other places. I think in one of our email exchanges, you said you, you thought another article, some more articles were going to come out about donor advised funds. I know we saw the Washington Post article earlier today. Yes. I heard from uh, some folks that the New Republic is going to have something pretty soon. And, you know, you saw the you sent me that Guardian article about the Alliance Defending Freedom. I think I've heard that that organization's name in almost every newscast I've watched about the, the Supreme Court decision. So I think there there is much greater awareness and you know there is so much going on. There's so much news. A lot of it is so depressing, but but a little bit goes a long way. So every time that you learn about this. Right now, it pays dividends down the line, I always think. so. Absolutely. Well, thank you for putting a spotlight on this and for all the work that you do for the industry as well as the LGBTQ plus community uh, as an ally. We, we, David had mentioned it earlier. We really appreciate that. With all that, how can our audience follow you and the work that you're doing? Well, my author page on our, our website we have a very non-Google friendly name as a publication, <laughs> Financial Planning. I'm sorry for any links that plague you about all the different companies who want to do financial planning for you after you Google us. But you can find me there at financial-planning.com slash author slash Tobias Salinger. I'm not on Twitter as much lately. It just doesn't seem the same after the past year or so. But please follow me if you'd like. I, I do retweet frequently. 
there <laughs> still. Toby Sal FP is my handle. And find me on LinkedIn. That's my favorite social media right now. So I'll be posting there a lot. Just find me, Tobias Salinger, and email me anything I should know. That's important as a reporter. I need to know what's happening. And I'm reliant on readers and people in the industry to, you know, nudge me and say, hey, this is something, this is something you need to know. I, you know, the first time we spoke, I was kind of, it was at the end of a kind of a long week. And, you know, it took me, it took me a kind of a, a few minutes to sort of understand all of the different things involved. But it's just, I could tell how important it was. And I just, I, I so appreciate just the fact that the Queer Money podcast brought this to, to light and that I was able to kind of start there and, and you know, just see all of the different avenues it led to so that we could advance the discussion in some way. Well, thank, thank you for you. that. And the only reason we found out about it was because of some of the listeners of our podcast. So we have to thank them for their work behind the scenes as well. Well, thank you very much. We, we thank you very much. We, we can't thank you enough for all the, all the work that you're doing for the community. So hopefully more to come. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you, David. Thank Keep you. Keep it up. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Toby, for a great article, for elaborating on your findings on our show, and for all your support of the LGBT community. To our listeners and our watchers, thank you again for listening to another episode or watching this. Here's your Queer Money takeaway. Please become a megaphone. We've expressed it many times in the past, including on this episode, that the LGBT community is not playing the same game as Christian nationalists, the Christian right, Dave Ramsey, and the whole anti-LGBTQ industrial complex. Talk with your friends and family about this anti-LGBTQ plus money. Ask your local LGBTQ plus magazine to cover it. Share it with the LGBTQ plus leaders in your community and on social media. Ask major leading LGBTQ plus publications to also cover it then join us this thursday when we talk about the most affordable lgbtq plus friendly city in the state of nebraska and next tuesday when we talk about how to use the benefits of an employee stock purchase plan for your retirement thank you and have a great week from los angeles california to winooski vermont we're taking queer money on the road Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.